So North Carolina, at least for the past several decades, since maybe the 70s or 80s, you know, has usually been thought of as a state that you know, usually goes Republican for federal races, but likes Democrats more at the statewide level, and we do see a bit of that still. Welcome to Politics is Everything, the podcast of the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia. I'm Kara ong And I'm Miles Coleman, the associate editor of The Crystal Ball here. Miles, thank you so much for taking the time. You've got two new analyses out this week that looks into the 2023 and 2024 gubernatorial elections. Um, let's start with the 2023 gubernatorial elections in Kentucky, Louisiana, and Mississippi, Kentucky features a popular Democratic governor, Andy Bashir. Um, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how Governor Bashir's responses to crises have helped him create a post-partisan image. And what do we know about um, the Republican candidates who might be challenging him? I think Kentucky is definitely going to be like the, uh, really the marquee governor's race of this year. Uh, you have Andy Bashir, who is the incumbent now. You know, he is a Democrat, but, you know, it's we think of Kentucky as a red state. In most regards, it is. In fact, it's the most Republican-leaning state that has a Democratic governor. Uh, but we saw last year Democrats really uh, overperformed what we expected. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, unless the, you know, Unless they've done something terribly wrong, it's very hard to beat an incumbent governor these days. Um, and then over his term in office, uh, Bashir has um, has really overseen the state's response to uh, really a myriad of natural disasters. There have been tornadoes out in western Kentucky. There have been floods out in eastern Kentucky over the past few years. Um, so, you know, just being on the ground with voters in those, well, you know, just uh, you know, with his constituents in those areas, helping them, you know, uh, rebuild and address those crises. You know, it's, it's uh, I think that's been a big part of his image. Um, you know, there was an article that we did at that Crystal Ball a few years earlier, you know, talking about how, uh, you know, those sort of natural disasters can help governors. Uh we saw a bit of that with Ron DeSantis, you know, even though he was already a favorite, um, you know, I think uh, that he had to deal with the hurricane sort of boosted his, or the aftermath of that sort of boosted his approval ratings and that uh, helped him win by almost 20 points. You know, that said, there can also be, or uh, one of the uh, good examples from my home state of Louisiana um, is someone who got me into politics was one of our former senators. Her name was Mary Landrew. Um, in 08, uh, she ran, or one of the big reasons why she was re-re-elected by six points in a red state in 08, um, was that after Katrina, that was her big issue. She ran uh, well ahead of the average Democrat in the New Orleans area. These natural disasters can have electoral impacts, but in terms of the, the uh, challengers, uh, the main challenger um, seems to be the state attorney general, Daniel Cameron. Uh, Cameron um, kind of came up under Mitch McConnell. He's a black Republican. He's young. I think he's in his 30s. Um, you know, He's got the Trump endorsement, but that hasn't really 
um, hasn't really deterred other Republicans from running. Uh, one of Trump's former ambassadors, uh, Kelly Knight Craft, she's raised, you know, she she's independently wealthy herself. Uh, she's a good fundraiser. Uh, there is the state auditor and the state agriculture commissioner that are running for governor as well. Um, so it's it's um, it's looking like a very crowded Republican field. So you know Cameron may end up winning the primary, uh, but it it um, uh, it could be a close one. Given that Kentucky's gubernatorial election will be in 2023, which is an off year. You know, to what extent do you think that women's health issues, women's reproductive issues might impact the gubernatorial election there this year? Sure. So what I'll say on that is uh, uh, what's obviously Kentucky is Republican leading state. uh, But one of the things that they voted on last year was a referendum uh, on whether or not there is a constitutional right to abortion. and the state constitution. Um, and the pro-choice side ended up winning uh, by four or five points. Uh, so I think that vote, you know, you can see it did very well in the urban areas. Uh, you know, it did well in some suburban areas of the state as well. Uh, so what I've been saying is that abortion vote, you know, could be something of a roadmap for Andy Bashir. You know, unlike... Uh, uh, unlike Governor John Bell Edwards in Louisiana, uh, you know, who was more a traditional pro-life Democrat, uh, Bashir is pro-choice. So that's, you know, so I think that vote gives him something of a, of a roadmap for re-election. So you've already started talking about your home state of Louisiana. And in that state, Governor John Bell Edwards, who is a Democrat, is term limited do you see anyone stepping up to fill his shoes from the Democratic bench? The Democrats, I think, are sort of searching for a candidate right now. Uh, there are some mumblings that your know, certain local officials may jump in. The uh, chair of the state party may jump in. Uh, but you know, I'd be surprised if they don't end up producing a candidate, you know, unlike, uh, uh, unlike some other states, uh, you know, we... Uh, we kind of take our time in Louisiana because the, the filing deadline in Kentucky uh, has already passed. The filing deadline for candidates in Mississippi is, I think, February 1st. Ours isn't until July. <laughs> so uh, there's some time for candidates to get in the race. Um, so we'll see who they end up end up fielding. You know, in some ways, like I've said, like the like Louisiana could be like an exchange for Maryland. Uh, you know, what I mean by that is like in Maryland, you had Larry Hogan, you know, a very personally popular Republican in a state that leans the other way. You know, after he was termed out, he was replaced by, you know, by a Democrat, which is more of what you would expect. So basically opposite of that in Louisiana. So on the Republican side, and you've rated Louisiana as likely Republican, but State Attorney General Jeff Landry is leading the Republican pack after he got the State Party Committee's endorsement uh, earlier this month. What is your thinking on the broader GOP field in Louisiana and how the jungle primary might play out in October? There's a professor at LSU named uh, named Robert Mann. 
Um, and he wrote a article back before the, the 2015 election. Um, at the time, the front runner for the, the governor's race was our, one of our senators named David Bitter, a re- Republican. Um, and, and Professor Mann's column kind of early in the election was like, it's never good to be the front runner in Louisiana elections because it's so volatile. And sure enough, Vitter ended up losing by 12 points. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think there could be a little bit of that going on this time. Um, so Jeff Landry, um, as we said, got the state parties, um, endorsement you know in in louisiana with our jungle primary you know we don't have a traditional primary system so this endorsement basically makes him the republican nominee um you know of course that's not sitting well with some other ambitious republicans who are looking to run as well you know just you know just to show you how quick these races can move uh since we put our 2023 article article out last week, uh, there have been two legislators that have got in the uh, race. Um, Landry, you know, even though he's a statewide official, um, you know, he's sort of seen as this bombastic Cajun, uh, you know, he sues Governor Edwards at any chance he gets. Um, He served a few terms in Congress. He was aligned with the, the Tea Party. Yeah, even though he's he's a Republican, his personal ratings aren't the highest. I'll back up a little and say it was sort of a surprise that our Lieutenant Governor Billy Nungaster, who's also a Republican, didn't run. Uh, he said last week that he was going to run for re-election, which, you know, on one level, I can't real, really blame him. The main job of the office is is basically to attend festivals and promote tourism. So being Nungaster was seen as more of a Republican who plays nice with Governor Edwards. So uh, not particularly moderate, but that would be his lane. So sort of with Landry, the moderate lane is wide open now because he's more of a Tea Party candidate. Uh, I would watch Congressman Garrett Graves. Um, There have been rumors that he's looking at it. You know, he's had safe races over the years, so he has a decent war chest. Uh, I think Congress has been great, you know, not a, you know, he's not Larry Hogan in terms of his ideology, but, um, you know, if you're looking for like a not Landry uh, Republican, um, he would be the next person who I'm interested to see what he does. So one other state that's having their gubernatorial election this year is Mississippi, and Democrats haven't won a contest this century, um, but they have put forward now a credible candidate, Public Service Commissioner Brandon Presley, last Thursday, and that moved the crystal ball's rating from safe Republican to likely Republican. Um, at the same time, the incumbent governor, the incumbent governor there, Tate Reeves, um, has strong approval ratings. I wonder if you can talk just a little bit about the dynamics in Mississippi and what you expect to happen there. I would say on Reeves' approval, they're, they're better. Uh, you know, some good news for him was um, there's this firm called Morning Consult that you know, every quarter or so they put out national governor approval rate ratings. And I think in their October survey, they, they had him underwater uh, his spread was like 42, 48. In their more recent one, that's essentially reversed. His approval is at 
Wolf before at 49%, which is okay, but uh, it showed some movement in his favor. You know, Reeves has, uh, you know, he's been maybe associated with some scandals. Um, the issue of water in the state capital of Jackson has made national news. Um, there have been some um, maybe shady state dealings with Brett Favre, the former NFL football player who's from Mississippi originally. He may be connected to, to that. So Reeves has these you know, things kind of uh, uh, hovering over his head. You know, he's not, even though Mississippi's a red state, Reeves isn't super popular. Um, you know, in comes Brandon Presley, who is uh, a public service commissioner from northern Mississippi. Uh, he is a, a distant relative of Elvis. Um, you know, one of my goals for this year uh, when we write about Mississippi is I'm going to try to work out uh, so, uh, puns about Elvis songs into our pieces. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, but, um, you know, he is a credible candidate. You know, he holds down a Trumpy district in northern Mississippi. Um Although Presley, what I will say, hasn't had like a genuinely competitive race in a while. So uh, I'm interested to see how things look now. Uh, Presley, I was you know, in a state like Mississippi. Um, what Democrats didn't do very, very, very well in 2019, even though they had a credible candidate back then, um, the black vote was sort of underwhelming in 2019 in Mississippi. In in Louisiana, they had uh, the uh, Dem Democrats more had their act together, which was why Edwards was reelected. Uh, but I was told that Presley, you know, over MOK Day weekend, he was in the state capital of Jackson uh, at several MOK Day parades trying to work work the black vote. Um, so you know, he does seem to be putting up a good effort, you know, at least what we can initially tell. But at the end of the day, Mississippi is obviously a tough state for Democrats. You also took a look ahead to 2024 this week for the crystal ball and the 2024 gubernatorial contests are going to be a little bit different than, than the 2022 elections, um, primarily in that most of the uh, contests in 2022 featured incumbents, but looking ahead to 2024, only about five of the 11 gubernatorial contests will have incumbents. And of course, 2022 was a great year for incumbents, only one lost, Steve Sisolaka, Nevada Democrat. Um, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how the changing dynamic of having fewer incumbents and also a president a presidential election year in 2024 might impact the partisan control of the executive seats up for grabs. I'm going to say I think it's five of the eleven feature governor who are term limited. You know who you know who can't run again even if they wanted to, but more seats could open and ban up. Uh, in New Hampshire and Vermont. Uh, we've written a bit about the governor's races there in previous crystal balls. Uh, you know, they have two Republicans who are very personally popular, even though those states are, you know, usually blue for everything else. Uh, you know, if governors Phil Scott and Chris Sununu run again, okay, they're, they're probably favored. Uh, New Hampshire and Vermont are a bit different in that. Uh, they're the only states where if you're a governor, you're up every two years. So um, you know, if they run again, they'll be uh, favored. 
Um, but if not, I think those races would be very good seats for uh, uh, for Democrats to potentially flip. Um, so, you know, otherwise, in some of these open seats, uh, you know, especially in, you know, um, most of these states are safe. So, you know, if you're, uh, you know, if you're an ambitious Republican in a state like, uh, you know, in a state like Indiana or West Virginia, you know, you'd really look at running for governor, even if it means a close primary. Um, the same thing with Democrats in Delaware. Uh, Joe Biden's home state is up this next year in 2024. Uh, that could see a very competitive primary as well. Um, so just one quick race to really hone in on for 2024. Um, you think that North Carolina is going to be the most contested election that year. Um, and Republican, but Republicans, Republicans have struggled um, in gubernatorial contests in that state. They've only held the executive mansion for four of the last 32 years, you've noted. Um, I wonder if you can talk about the dynamics in North Carolina and what's going to make it a toss up in 2024. Yeah, so North Carolina, at least for the past several decades, since maybe the 70s or 80s, you know, has usually been thought of as a state that, you know, usually goes Republican for federal races, but likes Democrats more at the statewide level. And you do see a bit of that still. Um, so, you know, we could be in a situation where uh, we're, in gen we're in general election mode until November 2024. Um, you know, just uh, just this week, uh, our current state attorney general, Josh Stein, a Democrat, uh, got into the race, which was basically surprised no one. <laughs> you know, if you've been following him uh, for the past few years, uh, you know, his statewide ambitions have been no secret. Uh, he used to work for our current governor, Roy Cooper. Um, followed him into the attorney general's office after Governor Cooper got um, elected to governor in 2016. Um, he's won two very close races. You know, one kind of joke we make about Josh Stein uh, is if you look at Senator Rick Scott in Florida, uh, he was elected governor twice um, and he won a Senate race in 2018. So but like in all three of his wins, like he gets like 50.1%. He barely inches it by. So so like if Stein pulls out like another close win, it's like, okay, you know, he's really the Rick Scott of North Carolina. Uh, he's a strong candidate. I'm sure he'll fundraise well. Uh, one parallel I've made to him um, is, um, is before this week, actually, uh, there were three states, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and North Carolina, uh, that, that, that all had Democratic attorneys general named, named Josh. Uh, why that's two now instead of, in, in, instead of three is uh, Josh Shapiro in Pennsylvania made the leap to being governor. Uh, so that could be a template that the others try to follow. Um, you know, one reason, of course, you know, what played into Josh Shapiro's hands uh, is he had a very controversial Republican opponent uh, in state Senator Doug Mastriano. Uh, well, in North Carolina, there could be a bit of that as well. Uh, our Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, um, you know, he's a black Republican. Um, he was 
elected lieutenant governor in 2020. Um, you know, he's um, he first got into politics as basically a gun rights activist. You know, he said some. I won't go into that up here, but he said several comments since then that have been very troubling. Um, even still, he seems to be in the driver's seat in a Republican primary. Uh, I'm going to be interested to see if there's any sort of, you know, stop Robinson movement that uh, develops on the Republican side. Um, if they try to put forward any other credible candidates, you know. Robinson hasn't announced yet, but it seems like he's clearly looking at the, the uh, race. Um, so, you know, but one thing I will say is that, you know, compared to, to Pennsylvania, you know, yes, even though North Carolina Democrats have done well in governor's races recently, you know, it's still a fundamentally harder state than Pennsylvania. You know, if, uh, you know, if we had to put out our electoral college ratings today for uh, 2024, you know, I would probably expect North Carolina to be toss up or maybe even leading Republican for president, whereas Pennsylvania would be more toss up to leans Democratic. Um, and, you know, even though, um, you know, even though Josh Shapiro's win ended up being like, you know, a 15 point blowout. No, that that didn't seem inevitable after the, the the primary. You know, yes, he we made him a we made him a favorite, but uh, at first we thought his win, you know, may not be as big as it was. So, you know, we'll see. Okay, well, once Robinson actually gets in the the a race, you know, does does he pull badly? Does he struggle to fundraise? You know, yes, he won on. He won an election for lieutenant governor in 2020, but, you know, that's a lower profile office. Did he get, you know, less scrutiny? Um, so we'll see. It's going to definitely be the key race of 2024. Well, Miles Coleman, thank you so much for sharing your expertise and tracking all of the candidates in these states um, and, and what is happening. We really appreciate you um, and your analyses. Sure. Thanks for having me on. We'll see you soon. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Politics is Everything. Editing and production was done by me. Our theme song is Let's Boogie by Chris Bays. Learn more about the Center for Politics and its work to strengthen democracy on our website at centerforpolitics.org. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter at center number four politics. You can also send us a recording of your questions or ideas for strengthening democracy to goodpolitics at virginia.edu. Until next time.